0: Well good morning LCM. Good morning. Today is August 28th, 2022. We want to start off today by giving glory to God for what he is doing here in our midst. Can somebody give glory to God today? See our sovereign king is faithful beyond description. He's good beyond our imagination and powerful beyond our most desperate need. He's been speaking to us, calling us ever higher promising us that the days to come will be filled with war and that he will contend with those who contend with us. He is with us, church, and he has created us. He's formed us, and he's made us, just like Isaiah says, for the specific purpose of making war on all enemies, internal, external enemies, and even celestial enemies that we are designed to make war against. Not only has he made us for war, he is making this
1: house into a house of officers. Yeah. Somebody say today. Today. Today is the kind of day where we're going to focus on what is further needed for us to continue to march in step with the pace, the direction, and the intensity that he has demonstrated to us. Today, somebody say today. 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 today is the kind of day where we will advance the kingdom together with internal enemies under our feet. Amen. Come on, somebody stop, stomp for me for a little bit. Mm. And with our external enemies in our sights, and with the global call of God overflowing from our hearts, saying to the living God, the best part about all of this, the best part about everything that we've said so far, is that we get to do this together. Come
2: on. Church, say it's time. It's time. Say it's time. It's time. It's time for a proverb. Because there's never a bad time for a proverb. This is Proverbs 17:17, and we're going to read it to you in the CJB. A friend shows his friendship at all times. It is for adversity that such a brother is born. Come on. The brothers that have been birthed in this house have been birthed for adversity. Say for adversity. For adversity. In adversity, and it is through adversity that our brotherhood will be proven genuine beyond all doubt and at all times. What we are experiencing as a church is the maturing of the mindset that is required to be an officer. One that is willing to lay down all rights of ownership to our expectations all of our rights to our own comforts, and even our very lives.
3: We are raising up officers in this house. Yeah. Officers who have the same mindset as that of Christ. One that will sacrifice to do the will of God for the people of God. We're raising up officers who have the mindset that says, we will never quit until the entirety of God's will is accomplished in us, through us, and together with us. Yes. Adversities are a certain reality. Mm-hmm. But you know what we do, saints? We refuse to endure it individually. Come on. As a family, we're compelled to operate as a collective unit for the glory of God. Amen. This is how officers operate in the body of Christ. And this is how they think about their brother to their left and to their right. Everyone look to the person on your left look to the person on your right. God has apportioned these relationships to exist so that we can accomplish his will together, never individually. It is incumbent upon us to have that same mindset of Christ, a mentality that rises to an officer level. The title of today's message is Officer Mentality. Everybody say Officer Mentality. Officer Officer mentality.
0: Mentality. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 14 and say officer mentality as you turn. Officer mentality. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14. It says this. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Saints, one of the beginning steps of developing an officer mentality is that we are motivated, that we're driven, that we're compelled by the ongoing love of Christ that has repeatedly given us evidence that his death is actually giving and bringing us life. Having been united with Christ, we're also united with his mindset that is willing to lay down our lives for others. This means that every part of our hearts, our motives, and our actions are no longer for ourselves, but are aimed at seeing resurrection power manifest in our brothers. Come on. We've been born again. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. We are new creations. Can somebody say hallelujah to that?
2: Hallelujah.
0: And from now on, we heed the directions as the word of God gives us as, and as we see it
1: in the very next verse. Come on. One died. And therefore all died because we all have our lives hidden in Christ. Look at verse 16. So from now on. All right, everybody with me. From now on. From now Now on. on. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Guys, now that we are no longer living For ourselves. You know what we're ready to do? We're ready to take on an officer mentality. One that that defines how we look at those around us. We are required as officers of the living God to no longer view one another according to the flesh. Guys, officers do not view their brothers from a worldly perspective. They don't view their brothers through the lens of their natural eyes because their eyes have been crucified to Christ. And what they now see is what Christ sees in the heavenly realms. Guys, no more carnal view of brothers and sisters. No more focusing only on their sinful nature. No more focusing on what they've done wrong. We do this no longer. And that means that all of us have done it. It means that we have to come to grips with the fact that we have all been this guy that the word is talking about here. Viewing our brothers and viewing our sisters with a carnal, worldly, fleshly view. But we do so no longer, church. Even though we viewed Christ in this way, from our own carnal perspective and worldly point of view, from now on, we rise up and we say, we take up a different kind of mentality That's in God's right. house today. Yeah. We commit to seeing our brothers through a new perspective, through heaven's perspective, through the perspective that we see Jesus in, and we refuse to see them any other way. Come
2: on, if you're still with us, say officer mentality. Officer mentality. Let's pick up in verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. So this passage is often viewed only as a regards to the divine transformation that has taken place inside of the individual person it's who's a, reading the passage. It's about me. It's about me. Yeah, this is the mindset that says. I'm a new creation. Yeah, my, my old life is gone. My new life has come. But the Lord is giving us an officer mentality in this brotherhood today. This verse means more than just updating your personal status. This verse is teaching us how we must view the brothers around us, the ones to your left and right. We regard no one among us from a worldly point of view. Instead, we see that they are brand new in Christ. Starting today, church, we can have a fresh start, a renewal in the mentality of how we view those brothers who are in Christ. Their old way of life is gone just like yours is. Their resurrected status has come, just like yours has. We no longer view each other from a worldly point of view. Instead, we start viewing each other from a redeemed and eternal perspective. Come on, church. You must view your brother with an officer mentality because they are new, transformed, and their lives are hidden in Christ.
3: Turn with us to Colossians chapter 3. Say officer mentality as you turn. Officer mentality. We're going to pick up in verse 3. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Yeah. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. In this passage, we want you to take note of something. The use of the word you or your are all in the plural form. Like saying y'all, you guys, something like that. So, you got it, Nick? You good? Okay, I nailed it. Another way to say this is for you all died, and all of your lives are hidden with Christ in God. So in seeing this as a, a collective, a plural congregation that is experiencing this, we are hidden with Christ in God together. Our view of each other is that one, is that a one that sees Christ when we look at our brothers. If Gabe is hidden in Christ, I am hidden in Christ. Then when I look upon my brother, I am looking at the image of Christ within him. When we begin to see each other as a new creation, hidden with Christ, we are able to see our brothers as bearers of his glory the workmanship of God, the very ones God has birthed to be joined with us for adversity. Viewing each other in light of being a new creation in Christ, it gives us the ability to conquer defeat and despair regarding our relationships together and then begin to operate in an officer mentality that is wholeheartedly devoted to one another.
0: Come on now, church, this idea of being able to see each other, not from a worldly perspective, but for for the fact that we have been hidden with Christ in God. When we look at each other, we are seeing Christ here in our presence. And what we have to do is learn that officer mentality of what that means. And we're going to help you do that. See, for the past few weeks, the Lord has highlighted Philippians 4 to us personally and to us as a congregation as a means of strengthening our brotherhood and increasing our fear of the Lord. So turn with us to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 4. And I think I learned the other night, fo-fo. We're going to go to Philippians, fo-fo. That's what Lenton and Treister taught me. Learning great things for men of God. Here we go. Philippians, fo-fo. Rejoice in the Lord Always.
1: He's going to have to say it again.
0: (laughs) I will say it again. Rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, reminder number one, church. Rejoice in the Lord always. Yes. And we're going to say it again. Rejoice. Hallelujah. In other words, we need to get in the habit of rejoicing twice as much as we think that we have in the past. Twice as much as we think we, we normally would. Yeah. Yeah. No, reminder number two. Do not be anxious about anything. Yeah. Wow. Don't you love how potent the word of God is? Mm -hmm. Reminder number three, you are supposed to replace anxiety with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving. See, the promise that results from this is that the shalom of God, what will it do? It will guard your heart. It will guard your mind. It will actually guard an officer mentality towards your brothers here in this house and give you the same perspective that the heavens do as you look at each other.
1: Come on, let's go on to verse 8 together. Finally, brothers, if these are Paul's concluding thoughts, how important are they? Extremely. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Guys, that is quite the list for Paul to put together. And it's very practical. It's a very instructive list. But we discovered some things in the past couple weeks. That word, think... When he says, think about such things, it's usually not used as the word think. That's usually not the idea behind it. It's usually more like account, or reckon, or calculate, or credit. Guys, what we're trying to tell you this morning, in light of what we've been preaching so far, is that we are after a goal today. We're after change today. We're after transformation today. Of the way that not just what we think about our brothers, but we are after right now. That when we look back in time, we are thinking, we are accounting, we are reckoning, we are calculating. And we are crediting our brothers with the things that they've done that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. And we are choosing to reject anything else that is outside of that view and that sphere of being like Christ. We're committing to that today. Guys, we're putting off records of wrongs, and we are committing to put on records of rights as they regard our brothers. You're going to put off the records of times when you felt offended, and you are going to put on the record times you and your brothers were on the offensive together. Standing shoulder to shoulder, it's so easy, guys, to just let your mind and let your heart drift into past experiences that stood out to you because they were hurtful or they were offensive or you didn't like the way that they went in the past. Guys, we are going on the offensive today. We are putting off those things in a forceful kind of way. And we are going to pursue putting on right, true, good. All that list about the memories that we have with our brothers and with each other that were those things. We're going to make the change today.
3: Hey, I just heard a testimony this morning about two brothers that went to prison ministry. And together, they went on the offensive to preach the gospel. Come on. They were actually contending with a guy who was very religious and self righteous, and he was offended at the truthfulness of the message that they were preaching. But because these two brothers stood side by side, man, they were putting off the old nature and putting on that new nature. Come on.
2: Church, we're going to put off the record of hurt, and you're going to put on a record of memories when you and your brother were hurting together for the gospel. If you've been hurt by a brother, you are going on the offensive to say, I am putting off that memory, and I am going to remember the times that we were up through the night praying and travailing for the nations or for a family member. We're going to put off those times that we wronged each other, and we're going to remember the time that we traveled around the world, the times that we worked all day out in the heat, the times that we dug ditches all day for the sake of someone in the body. We choose to put off. The things that we want to hold on to and we choose to put on the things that benefit our relationship with each other
3: amen you know what you're going to do on, you're going to put off the record of injustice oh, on, and you're going to put on the record that times you and your brother have entrusted yourselves to the one who judges justly I'm talking about those times when you and your brother have stood for righteousness and the only thing that came your way was a hurling of insults and persecutions, all the backstabbing that's happening at work, all the conflict with water of the womb families, but you stood your ground side by side with your brother and no amount of injustice thrown your way made you budge one moment from the deep convictions God has given you. But having that brother by your side said, yeah, man. Like Peter and John, we're going to see these chains fall off. Like Paul and Silas, we're going to lift up our praise to the heaven because my God is still sitting on the throne, and he will bring his judgment on earth.
1: Church, as we're speaking these things into this congregation this morning, can you feel the level of shalom even deepening in this room right now? It's happening right now. Grab a hold of these concepts. Pastor Wade has another one for us. Church, you're going to put off the record The accounting of accusations.
0: And you're going to put on the record the way that you and your brother have been reconciled to Christ and how you are now committed to stand as those who are free from accusation. You are free from accusation. That makes me think of Zechariah 3, like Jeshua the high priest. You are. Standing next to men and women in this room who have the old tainted garments put aside and they stand in righteous deeds, in righteous garments with a head that has been crowned with a turban of righteousness. This is how we are to look at each other. This is what you are to put on the record. You put off the record anything else that is not true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, or praiseworthy. Finally, brothers, think account, reckon these things towards one another. Not only just to think about it in and of yourself, but towards one another. When you do this, you are showing that you are rising and actually functioning in an officer mentality. Man, what a revelation here on what could be a very familiar verse to us, but doesn't it feel like you've never read it before today? Like a brand new verse. Because it is not just about you, it's about how you're
1: looking at your brothers in this room. Come on, You know that word think, it shows up a couple different places in the word. It's not just Philippians 4.8 that we explained as account, reckon, calculate, credit. It's also used as the word record in other passages Whoa. or record. One such passage is 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Turn with us there. Say officer mentality as you're turning there. Officer Officer mentality. mentality. We're going to look at some ways to record or to make a record in the way that God has prescribed. Verse 5 says, hey, 1 Corinthians 13, what are we talking about here? This is the love chapter, church. That's right, the love chapter. So we're talking about godly love here when we're reading verse 5. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. or read scriptures and just put me and I in them instead of looking at how they apply to the collective body. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Godly love keeps no record of wrongs. Guys, the light interpretation of this passage would say that the man operating in a love for his brothers, well, he refuses to think about wrongs that have been done to him in the past. That would be the light interpretation. Listen to the heavy interpretation of this passage. It would say that that same man operating in love for his brothers, well, he refuses to account for it. He refuses to reckon. He refuses to calculate or even credit his fellow brother with any sort of record of those wrongs. That's because he's separated the godliness and the Jesus that he sees in his brother for any of the past wrongs or things that he just perceived as a wrong to him. The officer mentality that we seek to instill into this body today, it has a basis and a foundation in the love of the Father and the love of His Son. Now with that being said, you can see how important this officer mentality is to the continued growth and expansion of God's ministry and kingdom advancement through the work we have ahead of us. Can you see that? Guys, this concept right here is so important to the expansion of God's kingdom. Now, as we mentioned to you last week, we're going to be standing before governors and kings. We're going to be standing before pseudo places of worship. We're going to be standing before so-called courts of justice. Any equipping that we need for those future experiences it's found in our present pursuits of a consistent operation in the love that we find in both the Father and in the Son. One that refuses to dishonor our brothers, refuses to seek our own promotion, refuses to be angered when we do not get our way, and especially refuses to keep a record of wrongs. After God himself has moved past those sins, and he is calling you to do the same. Yeah. Setting the right foundation of a correct and complete officer mentality, it's going to propel us now. And it's also going to sustain us for our greatest challenges that are coming in the days ahead.
2: Yeah. Church, if we haven't told you already, we're going to say it right now. We love our church. We are fully committed as your shepherds to making sure that every family, every man, woman, and child in our care, arrives at their God-ordained position as a fully trained officer. We're going to do this by ensuring that you are elevated to your stat, the status of your new name, your new family in Christ, and the new functions and purposes that he has given to us all. The scriptures make it so clear how we're to view each other in Christ. And it shows us how to employ the tools he's given to us for the benefit of the brothers on your left, And on your right.
3: Do you want to be a benefit to your brothers on your left and right? Yes.
2: Yes.
3: Well, turn with me to Romans 12. (laughs) And we're going to pick up exactly how we're going to benefit our brothers. Now, don't jump the gun on me. We're not going to that passage. We're going to pick up in verse 9 this morning. Romans twelve nine. love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, yeah. honor one another above yourselves. Now, Paul is giving a connectedness of thought, and it begins with love must be sincere, meaning that it has to be without contaminants. It has to be uncorrupted. It is an unconditional kind of love. One is willing to lay down your life for your brother. If it's contaminated, what does it make it, Nick? Sloppy agape? Oh, the sloppy agape that we find sometimes. It does. (laughs) It has to be a love that's willing to exhaust itself unto death for the benefit of your brother's. That's the starting point. In hating what is evil, that is a choosing to put off evil thoughts that we have regarding our brothers and to put on or cling to what is good about our brothers. Don't you like it when the word is just very Peshat and it states exactly what you're supposed to do? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Put off these evil thoughts, put on the good and righteous thoughts about our brothers. But this is where it leads to, verse 10. It says, be devoted to one another in what kind of love? Brotherly love. Brotherly love. Well, devotion. Can devotion be half-hearted? No. No. Devotion has to be whole-hearted. If you were in the military and you were a soldier underneath an officer, would you want that officer to be half-hearted in his devotion to going to war? No. No. No, no, there's lives at stake, nations at stake. Well, in the same way, we are to have a wholehearted devotion to brotherly love and being committed in love to carry it out.
0: See, in verse 10, it says, be devoted to one another. And here on the screen, it says love. But the word behind that is the word Philadelphia. It is a brotherly love. It's from the Strong's number 5360. And it's a word that most people think that they know, And most people think that they're already good at. But what we want to do is help you experience the real-life application of this word and become skilled into putting it into practice. You see it here on the screen on our one projector that we have working today. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for one that works. Philadelphia expresses itself in sincere goodwill of the sort family members show to one another. And listen to this. It recognizes no conflicts of rank. Wow. It lacks all hypocrisy. It endures and it is hospitable. Apparently, from the northern side of New York and the northern Bronx, it emphasizes. No, that's just a that's just a resource. It emphasizes quite justifiably that during times of persecution, this kind of brotherliness was highly valued and must have strengthened the perseverance of
1: Christians. Yeah. Oh, church. There are four main takeaways that we want to highlight to you that define what it means to have a brotherly love for one another. First of all, a brotherly love has no conflicts of rank. That's right. A brotherly love, when you are operating in this kind of brotherly love, there is no comparison of your responsibilities with somebody else. There's no comparison of call. There's no comparison of function or mezuzah when you have brotherly love between you. In fact, there is no room for bitter envy, selfish ambition, or jealousy. When you have brotherly love, these things get rejected, get put off, get destroyed. And brotherly love says, no, I love what my brother has been given. I love the responsibilities, the call, the function, the mezuzah, the family that he has. And I want to be just like that. It, what actually comes out of you is a desire to be a copy. Come on. Secondly, brotherly love lacks all hypocrisy. Come on, what we're talking about here is a brotherly love, when you put this on, you can be sure that you are operating in it when you are absent of all animosity. Whether the animosity is outward and outright and it's just flowing out of your mouth, Or the animosity is harder to find because it's hidden deep inside of your heart. A brotherly love, putting that on, it cures animosity and hypocrisy. Thirdly, a brotherly love always endures, guys. Every single time, it never shrinks back. It never takes a step back. It never says, I give up. No, a brotherly love shows a faithfulness to one another to the end. And fourthly, lastly, brotherly love is hospitable. When we say hospitality, we're not just talking about opening up your doors and letting people in your house. That's, that's the low-hanging fruit. A brotherly love is hospitable in ways that always seek to edify their brothers to their own detriment or at their own expense. Yeah. These excellent descriptors really reminded us of what Leviticus 19 has to say on the subject because it is the foundation of what we're reading in the Newer Testament. Verses 17 and 18 Truly describe and boil down brotherly love for us in very tangible ways. So, listen to this. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Don't do it. That's brotherly love. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so you will not share in his guilt. Yeah, that's right. Do that. 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Ah. Do not find yourself on the wrong side of these actions. But... Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that. I am the Lord. Do you see how Peshatli Leviticus 19 says, put these things on and put these things on instead. Put these things off and put these things on instead. That's exactly
2: what we're getting at this morning. Now let's go back to that slide that we just went over. Notice the highlighted portion of the slide. During times of persecution, this kind of brotherliness was highly valued and must have strengthened the perseverance of the Christians. Well, don't you think? <laughs> when you're being persecuted, it's nice to have a brother by your side. Amen? <laughs> this kind of brotherliness, as this slide would say, or brotherhood, as you could say, it is highly valued, especially when things are difficult. Yeah. It must have and certainly did strengthen the brother's in that day, and strengthen the brothers in our time. Consider the church that was named after Philadelphia. This is Revelation 3, verse 12. It says, Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Do you think that is a bunch of select individuals who overcome individually, or a collective group of people? Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him, catch this, my new name.
3: My new name. So, look, to put this together, this is a letter written to the church of what again? Philadelphia. Philadelphia, right? So it must have been named because they were actually walking in a devotedness to brotherly love. Yeah, it was more than just a couple of them. It was now a town that was defined by this very characteristic. And this letter is declaring in the beginning to him who overcomes. So brotherly love is what enabled them to triumph during times of persecution. Why? Because it was their lives being founded on their daily interaction with each other by being devoted in brotherly love. That's a good word. I'm sure they didn't wait for persecution to come to say, oh, hey, right now we need brotherly love. It's what was part of their daily engagement with each other because you know from personal experience there's always going to be some level of adversity whenever you are walking in righteousness and doing God's will. You are looking then for the opportunity to have unity with each other on this level of brotherly love. And in that unity, God displays his anointing. He displays his power. He displays his glory and wants to make his name known from that brotherly love. Revelation 3.12 says that he will bestow my new name upon him who overcomes. So this is how we view our brothers as those who possess the new name of Christ upon them, because they are hidden in Christ. Yeah. This is also what 2 Corinthians five seventeen is aimed at. The old is gone, the new has come. There's a new creation in my brother. That old name, that old way of life is now being replaced by the new name of Christ, uh, being bestowed upon them. One that is triumphant and victorious over that old nature. And that is what we see in our brothers.
0: What we are and what we were has been swallowed up in victory because of the blood of the Lamb. And that gives us the ability to walk in brotherly love. Paul understood this from his own experiences of trials and persecutions the necessity of brotherhood, and why he's so clearly stating what he is in Romans 12. Let's go back to Romans 12 together. We're going to take a look at verse 10 and finish out that verse as we move forward. Romans 12 and verse 10 says this. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. See, in Philippians 4 and verse 8, Paul is saying keep a record of those things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy in your relationships with each other. When you put off records of wrong about your brothers, you know how that manifests, right? Those little thoughts of when somebody says something to you, you're like, I remember the last time that we tried this. See, that's not how officers think. You put off the record of wrongs, and you put on the record all of the accountings of what has been true and noble and right and excellent about them. About how they've stood with the Lord rightly. Then you're honoring them above yourself. You're honoring them about the way you feel and the way that you think. And this is a godly trait. It is shown in brotherly love, and it is manifested in an officer mentality. It's not a passively obtained
1: objective. You can say that again, Pastor. It doesn't
0: just happen all by itself. This is something that you have to walk in like an officer mentality. You have to pursue this goal. You've got to apply constant effort. Somebody say constant effort. Constant effort. To put off and put on so that your devotion to one another can work effectively towards accomplishing the mission for
1: which we have been redeemed. So let's take a look into one more verse into Romans 12. This is Romans 12 11. The next verse. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So in your pursuit of Philadelphia, of this brotherly love, there are some very practical action items that Paul gives here. First, never be lacking in zeal. This means not being reluctant in your spude, which is actually the word in this passage. spoudazo, Not being reluctant to put on zeal or earnestness. Secondly, keeping your spiritual fervor. The way we keep our spiritual fervor is through keeping the officer mentality of putting off records of wrong yep. and putting on, re- on a credit to the account of our brothers, the most excellent, noble, pure, and right things that we can. Yep. Thirdly, and serve the Lord. Don't forget, brothers, sisters, do not forget that everything that God has blessed you with is not for you personally. Everything that God has blessed you with is for the use and benefit of his kingdom purposes. That is why he blesses. Do not forget to renew your zeal
2: and keep your spiritual fervor in your service to the king and to his saints. Church, don't forget to renew your zeal because you have received a new name. Amen. Amen. You have a new family. You have a new purpose for your life and for those who you are leading. These things are all so true. Are they true? Yes. Amen. And we're all in the midst of some incredibly exciting times that we get to establish together. That's why we started out this word that way. We get to do this together. It's the best part. So why does the old still want to stick to us so badly? Good question. We're going to talk about it for just a moment. We're talking about old names. What you used to be. How you used to act. What you used to accept as things about you that you did not like. But they would just never change. I'm all, I've always been this way. Those are old names. We're also talking about old family that just seems to stick to you. Just when you think you fully grabbed a hold of what Jesus said in the word when he says, my family are those who hear the word and put it into practice. The very next day you get a phone call from your mother or your brother or your uncle or you get a text message from them and it feels like the old family is revived. Directly opposed to the new family you've been given by God. We're talking about old purpose, which I believe, if I say it plural, it's (laughs) per I'll ask my, my fathers, they'll tell me, and my elders, they'll explain it to me. So regarding the old purpose that wants to stick to you, these are the things that you used to waste your time on. The things that you joyfully gave up when you came into Christ and into the body of Christ. But they have a way of creeping back in and trying to stick to you again.
3: So amazingly enough, incredibly, you are not the only ones that this has happened to. Agreed. Right? So look, let's do this. Turn with us to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. As you do, we want to give you some background to King Jehoshaphat. And the story they were going to engage with this morning. So, as you're turning, King Jehoshaphat, he had gotten a lot of things right, and that's good. In his early years, he had had walked in the ways of his father David. He did not consult the Baals, but sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of the wicked people around him. He removed the high places and the Asherah poles, while stationing troops in the fortified cities of Judah and putting garrisons in Judah and some of the other towns in Ephraim. Even so, all those good things, in the midst of all of this strength and blessing that he had, some of his past creeped back in and was trying to stick to him. To the point where he ended up allying himself with wicked King Ahab. Everybody say boo. 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 And he did that by marriage. Double boo. You could say that because of Jehoshaphat's lack of zeal to continue to pursue the Lord and not rest on his past successes, his old worldly name was there surfacing and showing up again. But this time, It was actually occurring in his next generation. Church, you
0: could also say that because Jehoshaphat's spiritual fervor for the Lord was waning, he no longer focused on stationing troops and tending to the garrisons that once kept out the corruption of his old family. He actually found himself allied with his old family more than once in their houses and in their worldly kingdoms, and he found that once again. See, because Jehoshaphat's service ceased being directed toward the Lord's will and his will alone, he tragically had involved himself and the people that he was responsible for in some of his own purposes, worldly wars, carnal pursuits, civilian affairs that he had no business being involved in. But through all of these misguided sinful wrong pursuits. The Lord had mercy on Jehoshaphat. Can somebody say praise God to that? He had given Jehoshaphat a new name. He had blessed him with a new family and he had placed upon him new purpose. So what did the Lord do to help Jehoshaphat? He sent Jehoshaphat a couple of prophets to speak to him and remind him about who he was in the Lord. Let's look at the
1: first prophet that the Lord sent to him in 2nd Chronicles chapter 18. 2nd Chronicles 18 verse 5 is where we're going to start. So the king of Israel, yeah, that's wicked king Ahab right there. He brought together the prophets, his prophets, 400 men, and asked them, <clears throat> "Shall we go to war against Ramoth-gilead or shall I refrain?" "Go," they answered for God will give it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? There's still some good in this man. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him (laughs) because he never prophesies anything good about me. It's always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once. So the story goes on and Micaiah shows up. And in the end, Micaiah rightly prophesies to everyone present that this battle, it was not directed by the Lord. That the armies of those kings would be scattered over the hillside like sheep without a shepherd. And that King Ahab would lose his life in the battle. Wow, what a prophecy. In the end, we know that Ahab did die in the battle, and needless to say, this man never returned home. But Jehoshaphat narrowly escaped from the misguided and misdirected conflict that he should have never been a part of in the first place. When he got home, what did the Lord do? He sent another prophet to Jehoshaphat to warn him. We're going to pick up together in
2: 2 Chronicles 19, verse 1, with the words of Jehu the seer. When Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, returned safely to his palace in Jerusalem, Jehu the seer, the son of Hanani, went out to meet him and said to the king, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you. For you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. Praise the Lord for men who hear from God and can approach you with both the reality of your situation and the greater truth of who you are in the Lord. Amen. Jehu came to Jehoshaphat and told him, King You are helping the wicked and loving those who hate God. That is very clear. Praise God for men who can speak about your reality with absolute clarity. But then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, I know you. You are a man of God. You are a man of God who has spent his life ridding the land of wickedness and setting your heart on seeking God. And you need to continue in who you really are, your new status. Can someone say Abigail? Abigail. This revived something in the life of Jehoshaphat. He got up and immediately got to work as a man of God whose old selfish ways of doing things were dead. And were going to stay dead. And whose life was hidden in the God whom he served.
3: You guys want to hear how Jehoshaphat... Received and acted upon an officer mentality? Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to verse 4. Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and turned them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land in each of the fortified cities of Judah. He told them, consider carefully what you do because you are not judging for man but for the Lord. Who is with you whenever you give a verdict. Now, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Judge carefully, for with the Lord our God, there is no injustice or partiality or bribery. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites, priests, and heads of Israelite families to administer the law of the Lord and to settle disputes. And they lived in Jerusalem. He gave them these orders. You must serve faithfully and wholeheartedly in the fear of the Lord. In every case that comes before you from your fellow countrymen who live in the cities, whether bloodshed or other concerns of the law, commands, decrees, or ordinances, you are to warn them not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, the wrath, God's wrath, will come on you and your brothers. Do this, and you will not sin. So look, Jehoshaphat's repentance here, he let go of his old name and once again grabbed a hold of his new name by going out among the family of God and working to turn them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He rejected his old family and once again returned back to his new family, raising up judges, Levites, officers, and giving them a charge to fear the Lord and obey his commands for the sake of the family of God. He even forsook his old purposes and once again fixed himself back to the purpose that he had already been given by God to rule and reign in the land that the Lord had given him and over the people that God had put under his authority. So all in all, what we can see clearly in Jehoshaphat is exactly how he got back to his officer mentality.
0: See, church, we want to help you to make sure that you're understanding something today. You're our family, and we're going to speak to you like family. This process that we're talking about in King Jehoshaphat is not just one that he had to go through. Each one of your pastors, each one of your elders, have been taken through refinement in these specific areas in the past. And they formed us into the men that you see standing before you today. But it's not just us who must be formed by it. You have before you this morning, not just two prophets, but four prophets who have experienced this, who've been through this, who've learned from both our failures and our successes and who have put into practice what God has revealed to us and done it together as a team. We've actually done it together as a team. We're working with all of our hearts to give you everything that we've been given, that you would be set firmly in your new name. That you would be set firmly in your new family. You would be set firmly in your new purpose this day. Right now in this house. But even more than that. Even more than that. That you would be able to set others firmly in these things. Because you yourself have become immovable in who you are. And you've done it together with the brothers around you. We're telling you this morning. Remember the good experiences that you've had with your pastors and your leadership team of the church. Did you see that direct connection in the story about King Jehoshaphat? The men of God were coming to him and they were counting to his credit. They were putting it on record of the godliness that this man had done. You have good inside of you. You've rid, you've rid the land of the Asherah poles. You have set your heart to seeking God. Remember your experiences with your pastors and leadership. Look back and remember true, noble, right, and pure times that we've had together. And then put these experiences into practice inside of your own lives. Everybody say, put
1: it in practice. Put it in practice. So in light of what Pastor Wade just said, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9 is what we're going to read. Whatever you have learned or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, the God of shalom, will be with you. Guys, you know good and well that you cannot have officers being raised up without those same men imitating, putting into practice what they have seen and heard. And you, LCM, We know that you are striving to imitate all that God has put on display before you. You know all about our teaching. You know all about our way of life. You know all about our purpose, our mezuzah, our faith, our patience, our love, and our endurance. You know how we strive to work in a team and to be together while we do everything. This is what Paul commended Timothy about in 2 Timothy 3. And it is what we are commending you on today yeah you are men who are throwing aside every self-determined mark of what you personally think you may need on an individual basis and you're putting into practice everything that you've seen in us because you know all about the persecutions the sufferings and the things that have happened to us we've endured and we are telling you today so will you Our great king has delivered us from all of our troubles, and he has rescued you in the same way. Because you're rising up as officers, we can clearly see that the God of shalom, the God of peace is with you. You're becoming thoroughly equipped in every way as the word of God dwells in you richly. Your lives are becoming more and more fruitful. Your families are thriving more and more with godly growth. This church is rising up in direct proportion to how we are lifting up both the name and the word of God in our lives above every other pursuit. Because you are our brothers, we want to give you keys to having an officer mentality that we have learned and received over the course of time. And are convinced that we will hear
2: them and we will see them in you as well. Church, are you learning what an officer mentality looks like? If you, we don't have time to do it today, but if you go down to verse 17 of Philippians 4, Paul tells him, I'm not talking to you because I'm in need. I am looking for what I may credit to your account. This is an officer mentality. You are looking zealously, burning hot. For your brothers on your left and right to be credited with, with righteousness. And you do not want them to miss the opportunity. Even if that means you are the one who is benefiting from their righteous deeds. You know the officer mentality that we has derived this body. It was from two primary practices that have built, sustained, and grown life-changing ministries. Do you want to know what they are? I'm going to tell you anyways. Primary practice number one. A perseverance that won't quit. Primary practice number two. A brotherhood that we will not violate. So primary practice number one, a perseverance that will not quit. Primary practice number two, a brotherhood that we will not violate. It's because we truly have a perseverance that won't quit. And a brotherhood that we will not violate. We will not be absent from the sufferings of Christ. We will sacrifice our needs for the sake of our brothers in the present, right now. Church, we will not be idle in applying what we've been taught. We will be eagerly putting into practice foundational truths that have built this brotherhood. We will not be content with half-hearted devotion. But we will be zealous to further the mission of this house as brothers who are wholeheartedly devoted to each other. And we will not rest, retreat, or let up until we see each other grow and mature to the full measure of our commanding officer.
3: So we want you guys to know something as we come to a close. I want you to know how the pastors have been entrusted with what we currently have. The responsibility of lives, operating as officers. we just let you in on a little secret. We're not here because we were strong. We're not here because we were born immensely gifted with talents and abilities. We're here because we persevered and never gave up. We didn't quit. Come on, are we the only ones that have ever experienced God asking and even demanding more of you than what you feel like you can currently perform or give? See, the kingdom of God is one that is always increasing. And because we are a part of it together as a church body, we are always increasing in our responsibilities and therefore needing to increase in our dependency on the Lord and each other. Now we can all recall the first time that you came to LCM. Think about it. Did you possess all the strength and maturity in Christ that you needed and you just came to contribute that to LCM? What happened? Your life was changed. And has been Experiencing ongoing change because you haven't given up. The other reason that we are here is because we have brothers that will not quit on us, and we will not quit on them. I can look at my brothers, and I can see a long history of evidence that they have not, will not ever quit on me because they're not going to quit on the Lord. You know, when I look out and I see men and women sitting in this room, I see men and women that won't quit. I see Chris Riosora. I see a man that walked in through the doors with a myriad of theology and doctrine that did not line up with God's word. He was on another planet. But all it took was 15 minutes of a worship service that he experienced the authentic and real presence of God. And he knew that he was not right with the king and came down here and asked for transformation. From that moment on, it has not been easy, but that brother has not given up. We have not given up on him, and he has not given up on us. Are you part of a brotherhood that is devoted to the Lord and devoted to one another? Well, we're going to progress. We're going to progress in the way that we view each other and commit to
0: renewing our covenant with the Lord and each other. Church, we need you to get this officer mentality today. When Pastor said that, you, that we are not men up on this stage because we are strong, we actually mean it. These are keys that unlock exactly what caused us to be formed. It's what's forming you, and we want to bring it to the surface and highlight it. We were not picked because we're strong. You are not big to be here because you're strong and therefore need to prove that. What makes you strong, what makes you what we are, is a perseverance to just said, I will not quit. I don't feel like I can go on, but yet I persist and I will move forward. It's not about your strengths, Cody. It's about you persevering and trusting in the brotherhood that God has put around you. They will not stop on me, and I will not stop on them. These men on the stage, these elders, and you brothers in this church have formed me. I'm not preaching to you a sermon. I'm telling you what I have lived and what I have experienced. You men who only are focusing on your weaknesses, you're missing it. It's about a perseverance that just says I will do what the Lord has said and I trust that he's put me around the right kind of brothers. Yeah. When I think of men like Justin Triester, how can I not be motivated to see a brother and consider and honor him above myself? This brother can persevere. This brother is the type of actual brother that you can count on no matter what. I've seen him die to his own vision to try to help lift other people. I've seen men like Steve Thomas be here and persist in a godly pursuit every single day that he's been here. It's not because you're strong, Ibrahim. It's a persistence and a brotherhood that is the answer to everything that you need in this house. It's what God has established. It's what built us. It's what's going to build you. It's what's building you now. And it will build ministries around the world. This is what God has given us. Juan, you're here because God is going to use persistence and a brotherhood to make you far better than you ever thought was even possible. Church, this is what God has been doing, and we're highlighting it so that you can put it into practice. We're going to share in a communion here. We're going to take the opportunity to share communion together. This is going to be a renewal of our covenant with King Jesus and a renewal of our covenant to each other
4: these pastors have been sharing with you what a real brotherhood looks like for an hour and four minutes. Can you feel the fidelity that is in this room? At an hour and four minutes, do you mind something that is unplanned? Or do you want to go all the way? way. I can tell you I can feel the Spirit of God highlighting things that he has in worship that it's impossible for us to plan for. And yet, nonetheless, there's more that the Lord would like to do. Can I hold your attention for 10 more minutes? Yes. As Pastor just said, we are going to take communion. It's important that we fully grasp what we're rebaptizing ourselves into. The Kaddish that Justin Triester gave, it's funny he it was mentioned a moment ago, really called to mind the way in which we are bonded around a singular hope. In the Gospel of John, Jesus presented himself as the resurrection and the life. Not as one who had power to resurrect Lazarus, but as the resurrection itself. See, every time we take communion, we are eating and drinking to the kingdom to come and reimmersing ourselves in resurrection power. I'd like to talk to you about what these men have just shared in that light of the resurrection power that we are going to renew in one another. 2 Timothy 2, 1 says this, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is Christ Jesus and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust to reliable men, men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Saints, in this house, you are called to be soldiers of Jesus Christ. Does any soldier serve at his own expense? No, who funds him? Who orders him? who provides for his daily needs as he carries out the task given to him. See, Paul was in the officer making business. He was not concerned with his own work alone, but his life goal was to raise up officers. That meant he was devoted to their needs, devoted to ensuring that they had what they needed to complete the call of God. When you hear a call about an officer mentality, It's time that we learn what it is to raise up soldiers. To be an officer means your life is no longer about your own mission, it is about your men completing their mission. Paul said these things to Timothy. He also said to Timothy that he was to entrust these things to reliable men. That means that Timothy was now called to go raise up officers in the same way that had been done for him. See, there is a replication, a pattern that began in the Word that has begun in this church that is reaching its fulfillment in your lives. No longer can we look to our own interest, but it's time that we credit to one another what is required for them to complete the task. Have any of you read Philippians 4, the first couple verses? You remember the context of what these pastors shared with you? He says, My brothers, you whom I love, I long for, my joy and my crown. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing here telling you that you are his love, that he longs for you, that you are his joy and his crown? Well, he goes on to plead with two members of the congregation that have not agreed with one another in the Lord. See, the entire context for what you just heard out of Philippians 4, 8, to credit to one another what is noble, what is righteous, what is praiseworthy, is because it is the answer to the things that have been dividing the soldiers of Christ. To be an officer is not you just thinking about good things or nice things or remembering nice things about each other. In fact, that's what he's telling two soldiers to do. To be an officer is to learn what it is to call out that which God has already placed. Somebody say, "Call call it out. To be an officer is to breathe resurrection power into the calling of your soldiers on your left and right. Somebody say, resurrection power. In this house, God has ordained you, not just to credit what is pleasing in your sight, but what is noble, what is praiseworthy in God's sight, i.e., the mission and the calling of the soldiers on your left and right. You are uniquely equipped to ensure that each other fulfill your calling. Listen to me, single people. I'm talking to you, too. Andrew Hayes, you are uniquely equipped to call the calling right out of your brother's life. Husbands, to bring resurrection power into your family, into the families next to you. I don't want you to begin entering into worship thinking this is remembering fond memories. That's beautiful. But if you don't have fond memories, go make new ones. Bring resurrection into the callings of your brother families. See, this is not a little tally list of the good things that we can say about one another. Like women greeting each other and discussing dresses that they wore. Oh, you look pretty in this. No, we're talking about the very power of God inside of you to raise up soldiers and see them complete a mission they could not do if you did not care for their needs. Saints, do you begin to feel the courage summoning in you? to bring resurrection to your brothers? See, I believe there are resurrections to callings in here. I'm looking at the Zacharies, and they are as called of God as it gets. See, but their calling doesn't rest on how well we preach. Their calling rests on officers standing shoulder to shoulder that can breathe resurrection power into each other's calling. See, our altar response today is not a commitment To remember positive things about one another. It's to do what officers have done in the past. Equip soldiers to accomplish works for Jesus Christ that they never could have done on their own. These brothers shared with you about Jehoshaphat. You know, he had a great, great grandfather named David. In 2 Samuel 5, he was anointed at a place called Hebron. Anybody in the room know what Hebron means? See, I know there's a particular household here that knows what Hebron means. Hebron is alliance, brotherhood. It is the place where men have decided that they will lead the rest of Israel in anointing King Jesus, anointing the King of Israel. where they've left all other civilian affairs aside, and they said, we will see This one made king over all of God's people. Oh, saints, there's a holy unifying when you recognize that God has called you to cast aside every other affair so that you might stand next to officers, call new soldiers up, and rally around the one king that is the son of David. I can hear his voice calling here today. He's saying, I want you to go to the nations, but I want you to stand and make me king as leaders of men. See, if we don't learn to breathe resurrection into the life of the callings that are around us, what will we bring to the nations? Are nice words about one another? Or what it looks like to rally around the son of David? First Chronicles 27 is the list of Israelite heads of families, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, and their officers. It's the entire list of the leaders that David spent his life building. Do you know why these men came to David at Hebron? Well, 2 Samuel 5 says so. Because in the past, he was the one who led them out to battle. In the past... He was the one who put himself on the front line to make sure they lived through the event, to make sure they succeeded in their callings. They recognized he had the potential to make them into something more. If you desire, if you really want to be an officer in this house, it means you put you and your family on the front line to ensure that your brothers succeed no matter what it costs you. I think you heard that today, but I want to move you to action about it. You will not get to the areas of the world that you want to go unless you can learn to lay your own life down to produce resurrection just like the son of David did. We're going to transition. We're going to pray. We're going to have music. We will take communion. But today is the day that you take your stand as a man who will die to see your brothers resurrected. You will accredit nothing other than the call of God. If you want to be an officer in this house, then you make sure the men on your left and right do not walk out of here with a dwindling colic. Don't walk out of here with a smoldering wick. Fan into flame the gift of God, as Paul said it. It's funny how one officer in the faith has the ability to encourage another to fan something into flame. I'm remembering an army of God. I'm remembering an arm of God, a flame that begins in one spot, but my God, when it burns the way that it is supposed to. We're asking you to fight for the calling of your brothers on your left and right, and by it, our collective mission to make King Jesus Lord over the whole earth. But it begins now as you bend your knees and stand.
1: We're going to begin to worship. If you need time to respond to this message at the altar before you grab communion, then take that time now. Because by the time that we line up and grab communion, which is going to happen directly after this, guys, we are going to be ready to stand up as men, women, families, a body that is committed to perseverance as by the time that you stand up from this altar, you're going to be men, women, children, families, and a united body that would do anything to see your brother and his family fully devoted to the work and call that is on him. Anything, sacrificing your very life to be the officer of God that he's called you to be so that others can do the same. Father, thank you. Father, we bless you this morning. We praise you this morning, mighty God. Oh we say glory to your name, Father. Glory to your name for expanding the depth of the shalom that is possible inside of your church, Lord. Glory to your name, mighty God, for ripping us away from selfish ambition. Glory to your name, mighty God, for taking us away from our own bitter envy, mighty God, helping us to crush it and to put on a death to ourselves and a life being produced in our brothers and their families, Lord. We give you praise and glory, mighty God. Lord, we move together without fear of the future, without anxiety of being taken care of, Lord God. All good things come from your hand, and you are the one that takes care of us as we do your work. We love you, Father, and we thank you for this morning.